when I hear, um, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, it always takes me back to a um, message that Pastor Mike gave. And I can't help but hear that song and feel God's joy in it. Um, if you haven't heard Pastor Mike give a message about this, uh, Longfellow went through a, a terrible calamity where he lost his family. And this song, or this writing that he did, was his way of how he came from a darkest point to a lightest point. It was a great sermon. And now when I hear that, it, it just it fills me up. And I'll tell you what, can we give a hand to that worship team? I, I thought that was a beautiful set. That was a great job. Those guys have been working diligently and, and hard, and they sacrifice a lot of time. And I'll tell you what, you're... Um, your worship really spoke to me today, so I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. Uh, a few announcements that I'd like to give. Sorry, I'm pulling up on my phone. I am technology uh, uh, dependent. Um, anyways, um, so we have a candlelight Christmas uh, service. It's Monday, December 24th. It's going to be at 5 p.m. Uh, there is child care available, so if you have young children, um, nursery and toddler room will be open, and uh, Nikki and I will be back there uh, watching your children. So depending on how you feel about my message today, you can decide whether or not you want us watching your kids. Um, Nikki is great. Um, I just kind of uh, loom over children. Uh, another thing that um, I would like to give an announcement about as far as an elder um, message to you all as we are going through the um, chemistry staffing process Right now, um, we have eliminated a few candidates, and we're pursuing um, a few others, so we are moving forward with this um, search. It's going really well, but the one thing that I can ask everybody in here, uh, you've already been praying for us um, on a regular basis, and we have felt your prayers. If you can continue to pray for us as we go through this process, um, and uh, we would really appreciate it. If you have any further questions about where we are, what's going on, or anything else like that, please reach out to your shepherding couple. Um, they'd be happy to relay a little bit more information if you have it. Um, when I was sitting down here, before we go into the actual sermon, um, I was thinking of this whole pastor search and how it was going, and I just want to let you know that I'm kind of the distraction elder, and I didn't mean to be. We're, we're doing a lot of video conferencing, so what happens is these pastors are all around the country, and they uh, video remote into us, and we video remote into them. And usually, because some of them are in one time zone versus another, uh, it's a little bit different. And so Nikki and I have been blessed. We've been able to put the kids to bed, and they've been <laughs> going to bed. So we were able to sit down and do one of these video conferences. Well, I was out in the garage. I was working on something. I can't go into too much detail because my daughter might hear me back there. But let's just say it has something coming up on a certain day. Uh, coming up here pretty soon. Well, anyways, I am covered in man glitter, and if you don't know what man glitter is, it's sawdust. And so I come in uh, to this interview, and I'm like, I, I can't sit in here with all this sawdust and stuff on me. So I take off my shirt, and I, no, I'm not. I have another shirt underneath. Please, please understand that I, I, I'm not sitting there like, hey, how's it going? Welcome to CFC. This is how we roll. Um, but I am sitting there. But, like, I have a V-neck T-shirt on, and I'm sitting there, and this lovely couple is sitting on the other side of the camera, and I can't imagine what they're thinking. But we just had an elder meeting, and I know exactly what all the elders and their wives were thinking about me. It's like, is that how you come to an interview, Hampson? So today, I felt it was absolutely necessary that I have to wear the tie and the shirt and everything so they can see that, yes, I can dress appropriately 
when I'm not covered in sawdust. All right, so enough humiliation. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer, and we'll begin. Uh, Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this time. Thank you for bringing us all here today, and Lord, I just ask that you um, open our hearts, uh, take away a heart of stone, and reveal a heart of flesh. Lord, um, there's a lot going on in this world right now, and I, I just ask that you uh, cast that from our minds so that we can focus on you. Lord, let the words that come out of my mouth be of you and not of me, and um, allow us to be able to take whatever you have prepared for us. We can take it into our workplaces and our lives and with our friends. And it's in your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so the one thing that, when I was thinking of a title for this sermon, um, there was a lot of things that came to mind, but the the title that I was thinking of a season of compassion. And the reason why I came up with this title is because during this, this month, this is when God showed his compassion for us by sending his son to die for us so that we may live with him because of his love. It's like an ultimate compassion right there. But I see this as something more than just a, um, a just like us kind of being saved and being healing, God had another step for this, and I want to kind of talk about that today, and also goes with one of our um, mission statements in CFC. If, you, if you're new or if you haven't been around here for a while, uh, the elders have been going through a mission and vision process, and our vision right now is real love and real life. And then from there, we started creating these mission statements of what that looks like for our church and what we excel at as a church. One thing that I was really encouraged by sitting around you and listening to this worship is God has blessed me so much to be able to sit in this sanctuary, in this space, with beautiful people in front of me that I can worship with, that I can commune with, that it almost feels like a family, that I don't have to hide behind a veil or some sort of veneer, but I can be who I am and be able to talk to all of you. And that's how we felt as a group of elders, that we are absolutely blessed within this building. So what are some other steps that we can take to help enrich us, help us grow as far as Christians? And one of them is evangelism. So if you look up there, our mission statement for evangelism is we see a church where everyone is propelled by God's love and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So this season of compassion that we're talking about and what I'm talking about right now is a way that we can be compassionate to others in a form of evangelism. And this word might seem scary to a few people. I know it does to me. I am not a good person to go out and start sharing the gospel with other people. But as I was going through this message, as I was looking at how Christ did it, how God did it for us, I realized that sometimes our view of evangelism can be skewed. And there are some people that are absolutely gifted that can go out, talk to a stranger, bring them to Christ, and have that relationship right there. But there are some of us, like myself, who can do it, but go about it a different way. And that's what I like to kind of talk about right now. So, before we go into what this looks like, we need to see what the world projects to us. And you can see it behind me, but one of the things is we are enthralled sometimes as Americans with social media, with popularity. Um, We... We follow social media sometimes, and I, myself included, I get stuck on a thread, and I keep on thumbing, and then as some, all of a sudden comes in my mind, what am I doing? Like, I've just wasted so much time, and I haven't really grown or anything else from that, and I then self-consciously put the phone aside or whatever device aside and go back to something that's a little bit more meaningful, but 
we get stuck in this social media kind of um, platform, and I'm not trying to discount social media for anybody else in here. I mean, I think there's a lot of good use, excuse me, uses and tools for it. But I think sometimes we get a little too obsessed about those likes, those follows, and et cetera. Negativity. We uh, sometimes have an addictive personality when it comes to uh, this negativity, and we follow and we feed off of it. And if it's one way or another, it kind of consumes us. And the next one is uh, separating people into an us versus them. A lot of times, once we get into this negativity, we'll put people into groups and categories. We put them into silos, and we put them to an us versus them. And it gives us a justification not to reach out, not to be connected with those people. And then from there, we create these talking points that we can say, oh, that's why I don't associate with them, because they're this or they're that. So this is something that I deal with a lot. And I hope you like that. Oh, it didn't switch over, because I'm doing it on my phone and not up there. I hope you like this picture right here. Um, I deal with this a lot when I am in my school setting. So um, I moonlight as an elder, but by day I'm a teacher. And so in my classrooms, or in the classes and schools that I go out to, I see this a lot with my students. And I also see it sometimes with their parents and adults and everything else that we get consumed by this. And, and what does this pursuit really give us when we go through what the world is trying to cast to us? We have heightened anxiety. I see it with my students all the time. They're anxious. Sometimes they're fearful of going to school because some of the things that have been put online or anything else like that, they're afraid of following that or having that follow them. And one thing that really worries me, and this is just going on the education speak, but one thing that really worries me is when I went to school, there was a separation. If something like that happened at school, I could go home and then you know, give that a 12-hour period, go back, and it's fine. Kids today, even adults when they're going to work, this stuff kind of follows them. And so that brings up anxiety. The next thing is lower mood levels. We end up feeling more down, feeling a little bit more out of it. The other one is the contempt and hostility towards others, going back to that us versus them. All right, they are like this, we are like this kind of mentality. We sometimes get desensitized. If we're really negative online and if we're really negative around others and we have our little groups and cliques where we can just be negative with each other about other groups, we become desensitized to it and are a little bit more open to criticize, to rebuke, to uh, critique and everything else. And the other one, this is one that I throw to students, but I think it happens with adults too, is FOMO, fear of missing out. So that anxiety goes into, oh, if I, if I don't get back online, if I don't watch this, if I don't see that, I'm going to miss out, and I won't be able to have that conversation later on. This is what I see in school, and this is what I saw in myself for a while. So what I did during the month of December, I got rid of it. Now, yes, I'm still on my phone, so I, I'm not, I haven't totally given it up yet, but uh, social media platforms and everything else like that, I've, I've given up this holiday season. During Christmas and during this time, I've put my phone aside um, and I've focused on other things. I've focused putting more effort and time into scripture. And I've also focused more time, of course, with my family. I saw something really dramatic start happening in me. One, my anxiety, my nervousness, my, um, uh, my negativity decreased. Nikki noticed it too. She was the first one that brought it up to me. She goes, you know, she's been a little bit more happy more often. I'm like, yeah. Uh, the other thing that I noticed is the views and opinions that I've had of certain groups or uh, people 
they kind of melted away. God was working on my heart during the season of fasting from uh, my pursuit of social media. So what I want to get into, I don't want to get all down. I want to talk about how we can all break this pattern. And some of it is looking at God's compassion for us. So I've got three verses here that I want to go over with everyone here. And you can follow along with me. You're going to do a lot of flipping in the Bible. But I'd like to go over these um, with you all. And then we're going to look about how God had compassion for us. The next step is how we can show compassion for others because of God's compassion. And then one of our final steps from there. All right, so the first uh, place I'd like to go to is Matthew chapter 14, verse 14. And you probably already know it as you're flipping to there, but this is Jesus feeds the 5,000. I'm going to read through this and we're going to talk a little bit about it. So I'm going to start in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew to a boat and privately, uh, privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowd followed him um, on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages by themselves from food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We here only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here. Bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate, and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The numbers of those who uh, ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So when we look at God's compassion for us, and this, there's all these little hidden layers within this story, but one of the ones that I looked at when I was reading this myself is, one, God, God right there is providing for the people that want to hear him. And God was providing for me during this time of fasting when I was going through this low point. And he spoke to me during this time, and he was able to feed me and nourish me, enrich me. This is what God has all in store for us as we go through it. The next verse I would like to read is John 4. We're going to get into a group of people that most Jews had a lot of contempt for. But Jesus was trying to break that mold. And like I said before, you probably heard the story before, but this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Going back to that compassion that God has for us. Because in all reality, we are kind of all Samaritans here, one way or another. And we have flaws and we have foibles about us, but then God sees past that, breaks that, and brings us to him after we accept him in our lives. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining, or was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the, uh, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. I'm going to stop right there for a second. So, Jesus is actually going to physically go in Samaria. Most Jews at this time, when they were going from uh, Judea to Galilee, they would take the river. They would go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to set foot there 
and become unclean because that's how much contempt that a lot of Jews had for these Samaritans. And so Jesus, once again, was going right into Samaria. He was going to talk to these people and show not only his disciples, but show us that we can't take these back roads and alleys away from people that we need to be social. We need to be interactive with other people. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot ground of Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samarian woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks for, your drink, for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water, welling up eternal life. The woman said to her, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right. When you say that you have no husband, the fact is that you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is tr quite true. Now here's the thing. Jesus is talking to this woman, obviously not the higher upper crust of society, someone who has been through a lot of situations. We don't know every circumstance and stuff, but a Jew at this time would not have associated, let alone talk to this person by this well. They would have pushed him aside. But Jesus is teaching us right here that it is important for us to go out and to have these communications with people, not to push them aside, not to move away, but to be up front and approach them with the boldness of his Holy Spirit. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is talking to us right here saying, there's going to come a point where we're not going to have to go to a building or go to a place to have this worship, but we're going to be able to commune as we're communing right here with God and have that connection with him. 
He's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus being there right now. God is spirit, and the worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the, Mes- I, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speaks, speaks to you, am he. Now the story goes further, and the woman goes back to the town, tells the people of the town of what she heard, brings people come back out to hear Jesus. And then from this point, because Jesus entered this relationship with this woman, this conversation and this bonding that they had, more people were willing to be saved, and so this one person multiplies. And we're going to see this a lot in Jesus' teachings. So the next one that I have is Luke I'm sorry, my eyes are not that great, so I can't see back there. 10.25. And once again, we're going to talk about the Samaritans. Because this is a group of people that, once again, the Jews don't really have high regard for. All right, They share some things in common, but there are things that separate them. I'm not going to go into the mass history of um, how these people kind of separated. But Jesus is talking at this point that that doesn't matter. Everyone needs to be reached with his message. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, And who is my neighbor? Jesus said, A man was going to town, uh, going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, He passed by on the other side. So a priest, one of the highest levels in the Jewish faith, walks to the side. Now, there's some context here. A lot of um, Jews uh, touching blood or anything else like that would have been unclean to them. So this would have been kind of seen as, oh, not a huge deal or anything else like that. But yet this man who was beaten, robbed, and on the verge of death was dying. priest walks by. So too, a Levite, once again, one of the higher tribes in Israel, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When he put the man on his own donkey, he took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, it's a lot. Denari is some translations that say out there. That's a lot of money back then, giving two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and, I, when, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We as Christians need to show mercy 
to those people around us. We need to go out and we need to be the light for some of these people that are out there that are suffering, that are hurting, that are in, in pain. And this might not necessarily be that we're all going to different uh, volunteering events or anything else like that, but one of the uh, parts that a lot of us elders and uh, small group leaders want us to start doing is try to have an area within our small group where we can go out and do some service, going back to the evangelism. So why did he focus on Samaritans? Once again, these people were kind of the outcasts, were the outsiders. But Jesus showed that they are just as important to the kingdom of heaven as all of us here right now. We would have been considered Gentiles. We would have been considered someone that a Jew would not want to associate with. But Jesus is bridging that gap so that all could be welcomed into his kingdom. So what can we do? So we need to show this compassion for others, and what are some ways to do it? If you can turn with me to Ephesians. I love Ephesians, by the way. This is one of the books of the Bible that I was saved by. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 was one of my memory verses, and uh, it still speaks to me quite a bit today. So we're going to Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as just as Christ God forgave you. I am so thankful that God doesn't look at me the same way I've looked on other people in my life. When I've seen people either through news or walking on the street or anything else like that, little Dave Hampson's judgmental side goes bing, 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 bing. And I was like, <laughs> immediate little judgment. Thank God God doesn't look at me like that, but pursued me and went after me. And we need to have that same sort of heart, that same sort of compassion that Christ had for us to be forgiving, to be open, because we all here have done some things that have separated us from God, that have kept us from the kingdom. And yet Christ still died for us. Christ still came to us, so, uh, came to us, taught us, died for us so that we could be with him. So when I think about this Christmas season, yes, I still think of little baby Jesus when we think about the manger right here. But I think of how this humble event came to be a part where we can all gather right here and speak his name freely, to talk to one another and converse and to commune with one another. All right. Let's look at Colossians. 3.12 Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, but Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. This is talking about, um, in this case, believers with believers. Um, in a lot of the Gospels, with Jesus, with Paul, with all these people, they're talking about that we as Christians need to be forgiving to one another. Um, an example that I have is we, were, we had an elder meeting. I'm not going to throw out any names, Roger, but um, I, um, I'm teasing. It wasn't him. 
Um, it's probably me. Um, anyways, we, 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 have this, we have this brotherhood, and it's even with the deacons that I absolutely love, where if a grievance comes, if we have an issue, if we have something that we feel like someone has stepped out of line or something that has hurt us, I have no fear to go to any of my brothers and speak to them clearly and saying how this might happen. And then also, too, asking forgiveness if I stepped over the line with them. We need to be open like that as Christians. We need to be willing to go up to each other, talk to one another, and then being willing to forgive. If someone has offended us within this body, within this being, we need to be up front. We need to have that maturity to be able to go to them. One, if we're the offender, to ask forgiveness. And two, if we've been offended, to clearly come up to them and then work through a reconciliation because Christ does not want us divided. Christ wants us together. Let's turn to Galatians 6 2. I'm going to start from 6 1, though. Sorry, throwing an audible. Brothers, if someone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you may too be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that he is some, something when he is nothing, he deceives himself for each, for each one should test his own actions. When he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his load. So when we go back to this, we need to be there for one another. We need to watch one another. We need to take care of one another. We can't be passers-by. We can't just be observant to people that are around us, but we need to be active. And when I talked about before about one of our mission statements with evangelism, this is a form of evangelism right here as it is, where we are actively building relationships, even within our own body, all right, for a brother or sister who has fallen on the side. We've got to go with the compassion that Christ had for us and go out to them. And we need to help each other. If there's a burden or if there's suffering going on, we need to be there for that person to help them through whatever crisis it might be. So when I think about all this, it comes to the Great Commission. So if you don't mind turning to me, turning with me, not turning my own Bible, because I think I can do it. Um, turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 16. When we were looking at our mission and vision statements, this is one that we came back to a lot, especially with our outreach and with evangelism. And this is an aspirational goal that we have here. This is something that I think all of us at CFC need to work on and need to build. Uh, I myself, I am very terrible at this. But when I was going through the sermon and preparing it, I couldn't believe that as many opportunities that God gave me to talk about my sermon to non-believers at my work. Now, I work in a public school where it can be kind of dangerous to start sharing the gospel in that area. But I have a really good close group of friends, and they, they, know, they know me, and um, they still want to hang out. But I was able to have so many great conversations about the love of Christ with people and to be able to start building a relationship where I can share the gospel. Did I bring anybody to Jesus? Not that I know of. 
but the seeds have been planted. And I can keep on coming back to them and knowing that they're going to listen and they're going to be able to talk and have a conversation. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't go out all the time. He did. He went out and preached and shared the gospel to people and thousands and thousands of people. But he also built into 12 disciples. He built into other people that he came in in his journey. And some of those uh, stories and those accounts are put here in the New Testament where we can see where Jesus was making this relationship. Jesus just wasn't going out and saying, you need to follow these certain things. But he built into individuals so that they could hear, understand, and have a connection, a human connection. And that's kind of what we need to do. We need to make these human connections. We need to build into individuals, uh, not just like a one-and-done type of thing, but over a course of a lifetime. And that's a good thing for the small groups, where we build into one another, and we can share each other's stories and experiences. So, sorry, I went on a tangent, but here's the Great Commission. When the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That would have been me. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples with all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always, to the very end of the age. My gosh, I, okay, so just reading that right now, I'm like, oh, yeah, like I am really kind of pumped up by something like that. And I see it, and I, I see that how Jesus is talking to these disciples. The 11 were there, and when, he heard, when they heard that, they heard of the relationship that they had with Jesus, that personal relationship, and that they were told, to do what he did and go out and make personal relationships with other people around there so that that group of people would expand and multiply and multiply and multiply. That's something that I know that I still need to work on my heart to do. And that's something that I think that we as a church can really start moving towards and building upon. So this is my last little point right here. So Christian Fellowship Church, Mission and Vision, so just to say this again, our vision is real love and real life. We do such a good job with this. With our small groups, with the people that surround us and are in our lives, I, I truly do feel the love of this, this group. I feel like I'm a part of a blessed family right here. And I'm always encouraged through all the strife and stuff that we've been going through. So many of you have been so encouraging, so loving, so caring to us as elders, to our wives, to everyone else. And I pray that we are showing hopefully the same to you. And please don't hesitate to come talk to us. Come, please come up to us. We are very open people. My wife is so kind, and she kind of mellows me out a little bit. <laughs> so our vision for evangelism, we have a lot, our mission for evangelism. We have a lot of them, and they're out in the hallway. I, I encourage you, if you haven't seen them yet, go take a look. Go through them, read them, talk to your shepherding person, bring them up in your small groups. We want to have a conversation about this because this is what we want to kind of build on as we go for this new season of CFC. We see a church where everyone is propelled by God's love and empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is an aspirational goal of mine. This is one where I still need to work on, where I focus on the Great Commission 
and where I build relationships with people to share the word of Jesus Christ. Thank you guys. I appreciate your time. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, gracious Father God, thank you for this season. Thank you for you and your compassion that you had on us. We did not deserve your sacrifice on the cross. We don't deserve to be in heaven with you. But because of your love and because of your grace, you have given us an opportunity to live with you forever and to worship you and to praise you. Lord, I ask that anybody here who has not accepted you in, uh, in their hearts to take a few moments to reflect, to reflect on your great sacrifice, to reflect on your great love, and to reflect on your redeeming power. Lord, let us not get caught up in what the world is trying to throw at us, but be enraptured by your Holy Spirit. Lord, as everyone has safe travels wherever they go this holiday season, this time of Christmas, this time of your celebration, Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name.